wasn't leading, I probably would have just shouted amen and amen out. Let's open God's words this morning to the book of Acts. Um, yep, and just for for our first Sunday, nursery's back there, and we're going to try to work if there's enough older kids for junior church to start it in the library and see how that goes. Um, the walls are double insulated back there, so hopefully, I know there's a door that's not, but hopefully that we'll we'll see how that works. So it's an answer to prayer. I, I, my my desk getting out here anymore, folks. It was so sweet this morning to be sitting back there. But in, in our songs, um, with shield of faith and belt of truth, we'll stand against the devil's lies. And man, does he like to lie? Does he like to deceive and tear us down? Um, just just quick quick review. Um, Acts chapter 3, John and Peter walk into the temple. They heal the lame man, and they do it in the name of Jesus Christ. They do it in the name of the Holy and the Righteous One. In the name of Jesus, he was healed by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. The Sanhedrin took exception to that, threw him in jail. They come, they, they come before the Sanhedrin the next day and they say, what are you doing? How, how did you do this? And they say, Peter speaks up and he says, it's in the name of Jesus Christ that this man is healed and hold before you today. The, the Sanhedrin are, are caught in a rock in a, a hard place. They're flummoxed. They're baffled. They don't know what to do. They're, they, they, they're, 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 they're just at a loss for words. Because if they admit that this guy was healed in the name of Jesus Christ, then they're admitting not, not only that Jesus Christ is alive, but even if they don't admit that he's alive, they're at least saying that his name has power. And they, and they can't say that because they don't believe in the resurrection. So they're stuck. So they say, and, and this is this is Satan trying to shut them up. And he, and he tried to use the religious leaders of that day to shut down the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as we, we, we said, I, this is one of my favorite things, in, in chapter 2, verse 24, where it says that it was impossible for Christ to be held in the power of death it was not a possibility that he would stay in the grave. He had to come forth. And then in, in chapter 4, verse 21, verse 20, Peter says, we can't stop speaking of what we've seen and heard. We can't stop. We won't stop. We're going to keep telling what we've heard and seen through Jesus Christ. So as, as we get to when, when they're released... The Sanhedrin say, go, shut up, don't say anything else about, about Christ. Don't say anything about his name, don't do anything in his name. And of course, verse, chapter 4, verse 23, they, they leave and they return to their own companions. They report what was said to them. And when the whole group heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. They had a prayer meeting. They had a prayer and praise meeting, which is what we do every Wednesday night. Now, I can't say we've ever shook the building yet, but that's up to the Holy Spirit whether he's going to shake it or not. So that's not of our doing. But they, 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 one of the things, they start out by glorifying God, and they, they say that, O oh Lord, 
So that's the king on the throne. It is you who made the heaven and the earth. So they acknowledge, one, that he's sovereign, and two, that he's the creator of the world. And then they go back to Psalm chapter 2. And we went back there and took a look. It's broken down into four, four parts, three verses each one. The first one was the voice of the world and how they just want to bash Jesus. The second three verses was the voice of the Lord himself, basically saying, I reign, my will will be done. The next three verses was the voice of Jesus saying, I will do my Father's will. I will do what he tells me. And the last three verses were the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, guys, repent and get to the Lord before it's too late. Because there will be a day where it's too late. You've got the opportunity now, repent and come back to the Lord before it's too late. You have your chance, now take it. So Satan changes his strategies and tactics. Look at me in 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter 5 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And when that doesn't work, go to 2 Corinthians 11. When the roaring lion thing doesn't work for him, he changes tactics. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. Or excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 3. But I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, there's nothing crafty about a roaring lion in your face, okay? It's just right there. Now he's going to become crafty. Your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. And and right there, verses 13 and 14. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan sets about to deceive us in any way that he can. And if one tactic doesn't work, he'll use another. John 8, 44, and then we'll get back to Acts. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. You want to do the desires of your father? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. If I'd put my little twist or translation on that, I said, whenever he speaks, you know, you you say, there's some people you say, if their lips are moving, you know they're lying. That's Satan. He would seek to deceive us. And God's own word says he would seek to deceive us away from the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that is that God loves you. God loves you. And he has a plan for you, a very specific plan. It starts with salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Back to Acts chapter 4. As Peter in his preaching quoted from Saul, or in his prayer in praise time with his companions after being released. And he's going through Psalm 2. He... ties in Psalm 2 to what they're praying about. And it says, and, and he talks about 
Herod and Pontius Pilate in the first three verses of Psalm 2. It talks about the world and, and, and they're, they're, anti, they're being anti-Christ and against Christ. And he said, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel. And that's one thing Peter kept slapping them down with. Was, you guys are the ones that crucified Christ. I know when the movie The Passion of Christ came out and Mel Gibson said the Jews killed Jesus, there was all sorts of political flack about that and garbage. And, and he's right. But ultimately, we all crucified Christ because of our sin. Every one of us, all of our sins, nailed Jesus to the cross. So they get down, and he's talking about that Christ had the hand to heal in verse 31. When they had prayed, the place they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I thought that was pretty cool. We, we know that the Holy Spirit is in the language business. All right? Because when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost... Men were able to speak in dialects that were not their own. But it was done in the power of the Holy Spirit so that other people could hear the gospel of Christ. That was the only reason it was done, was so that they could hear the gospel of Christ. My son-in-law and daughter were here last week talking about their missionary work and going to the Middle East, and they're going to have to learn Arabic. You, you ever see on your, your ballots, election ballots, or your tax forms, now there's all this stuff in Arabic now on there? <laughs> Someday they're going to know how to read that. But we, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will help them in their language studies. Why? So that they can proclaim Jesus Christ to the people in the country they're going to. And that they will acknowledge, and guys, I love Nehemiah, how often the Nehemiah in chapter 6 the nations around them lost their confidence because they recognized that God was doing the work. Nehemiah was never shy to say, it's God that's doing this work. And Peter and John here and their companions are never shy, never shy away from saying, this is done in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's done in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not us. We can't do it on our own. It's through him. So we need to give the glory where it belongs. And finally, we get to today's passage, verse 32 through 37 of Acts chapter 4. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but that all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for all were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring them, bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as they had need. And Joseph, the Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means sons of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. That is one reason I don't like wearing that mic up here. Can't do that. 
or y'all, y'all, then y'all hear the, all the gory details. We saw earlier in Acts chapter 2, verses 43 to 47, we, we saw the same thing going on where they shared with one another. Every, in chapter 2, verse 43, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. We see the parallel here. They have many things in common. The first one, the first time it's mentioned in Acts here is on the day of Pentecost. It's kind of at the, the conclusion of the day. And obviously in the time after, because they didn't all run out and sell their property on the same day. Okay? But there's, there's three things. And a, just a quick quote from Warren Wearsby. The church that depends on believing prayer will know the blessing of the Holy Spirit in its ministry. And there was three, three things that the church had here that we see in both chapter 2 and where we are today in chapter 4, and that they're having all things in common. Um, this this uh, the, the part of this in, in chapter 4 is, is introducing two contrasting opinions, or two, not opinions, excuse me, two contrasting actions. The, the one is that Barnabas is going to sell his property and share with the church. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at chapter 5, and we're going to see Ananias and Sapphira. And we're going to see the exact opposite. We're going to see the exact opposite and the horrible, terrifying results that came of it. But with Barnabas, he, his, he was the son of encouragement. And we see in his ministry, in Acts, he's mentioned over 25 times and about five or six more times in the epistles. Was that he was a great encouragement to Paul and to John Mark in their work. And I'm sure just anybody he came in contact, that's just who he was. He was an encourager. But he's going to sell his property and share. But first of all, in, in a spirit-filled church, there's, there's three things that we see. And there's a unity in, in looking at 2, uh, 40, uh, 46. And, and day by day they were continuing with one mind in the temple. And then in chapter 4, in verse 32, they were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. And I, I want to read just a short clip out of one of the commentaries I study from. Um, I just like the way that the, that the author phrases it. How is it possible for 10,000 people to be unified? It's simple. They believed the gospel. Faith in Jesus united them. In verse 33, we read that the apostles kept preaching this message and the people were in harmony around this most powerful unifier. They had the same mind in that they understood what mattered. They were utterly committed to the same gospel of the risen Christ. They were one in heart, meaning that a great spirit of love permeated them. This is the key right here. 
Together, we don't create unity. God establishes it. We maintain it, but we don't create it. God is redeeming a people. God's gospel brings people together in hearts and minds. So unity is nothing for us to brag about. Unity is for us to praise him when he gives it to us. And the only way, Philippians 2, love that passage, Philippians 2, the only way that we get to that unity is one, when we put others before ourselves, we put others before ourselves, and two, is when we have the mind of Christ. Not your mind, not my mind, but the mind of Christ. That, when, when we are, have a common, a common thread and a common understanding of the, the mind of Christ, that is when God will give us unity. Satan likes to take us, break us down with lies. When we're done with our service, with the preaching part, we're going to have a short business meeting, clean up a few things. In, in, well, I'll save that for then. But Satan will use anything he can to tear down and destroy a church. Because when God is working, he's not happy. So we need to make sure that Satan's not happy. We need to get out of the way and let God. Get out of the way and let God. Again, there's there's my series coming up. And and you'll find in Acts 5, in the contrast between Barnabas in verse 36 and 37 of chapter 4, as we shift to Ananias and Sapphira, it says, but. Okay? It's not the same thing as when in scriptures it says, but God. Okay? Take you back to the story of Joseph, one of my favorites there too. When his brothers come and they're bowing down before him, like they, they joked and made fun of him when he shared his dream that someday they'd be bowing down to him. And ah, guess what? They are. And he says, guys, don't be mad about it. Don't be mad. God, but God. God has me here for a reason and a purpose. But God. Well, we're going we're gonna to see a different kind of but there between chapter 4 and 5 of Acts. But back to, back to the unity thing. God gives us spiritual unity. He gives us unity in doctrine, in fellowship, in giving, and in worship. Personally, I believe that the preaching the word of God and giving and our offering are part of worship. But that all comes, it's given by God. It's when the church is spirit-filled. It's when we get out of our way and let God. And the, the second characteristic of a spirit-filled church is that you find favor with all people. People are hungry to know God. They want to know God. Uh, verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. God's Word tells us to live peaceably as, as best we can with all men. Are we going to be at peace with all men? No, because we can't control how they feel. But in our hearts, we can be at peace with men and strive to share the love of Jesus with them. We can find favor with people in our community, with people at work. We can find favor 
If Again, if we'll get out of the way and let God shine through us, if we will let him live in us and be the example that people see and to give him the glory for. And then a characteristic of a spirit-filled church is that it will grow. And this church will grow if each one of us seeks to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ in our community, in our families. It's the only way it's going to grow. I often joke that when somebody, when somebody has a new baby, now there's more than one way to grow a church, and that's true. That's one way to do it. But we still have to bring those kids up in the nurture and admonition of God. But the church is only going to grow. And numerical growth, it's, it's not the only thing, but it is an important thing. Because if we're not multiplying, if we're not growing, then we're not sharing our faith, folks. And that's not just on your pastor. It is on him, but it's also on you. It's on each one of us to share our faith with those around us. Or is our faith not worth sharing? Do we not have that faith? The sign of a spirit-filled church is that it will grow. We seek to be an effective witness in our community. And what we see here going on in, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, it's, people say, well, that sounds like communism. Well, communism is involuntary. This was totally voluntary. It had to move in, in their hearts of the, by the Holy Spirit. There was nothing forced about this. They did it willingly. Because one, they had a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And two, they had a sensitivity to one another. In the needs of one another. We, we had someone in our church this week step forward and provide for another member of our congregation that has some needs. Wasn't asked, wasn't solicited, they just offered it. And I had the privilege of being the, the courier, the messenger, and taking it, dropping off to the family that had need of it. <sighs> Love to see grateful hearts. Did somebody in the body cared enough about them? Simple things. What we may say is a small thing was a huge thing to this family. And they were so grateful and so thankful that somebody in the body of Christ cared enough to be Jesus to them, to share with what they had, to share from their abundance, to share from their hearts. That's what it's all about, people. That is what it's all about. Getting down to Barnabas now. Verse uh, 36, Joseph the Levite. Now, it was, it was really unusual that, that uh, Levites had property because in Deuteronomy, they weren't, it says they, they weren't to have. Their inheritance was to serve God. That was their blessing in the tribes of Israel. So some of the commentaries kind of slam them here for ignoring the rule, but you know what? And, and I, was, I was disappointed that, that none of the commentators addressed this issue. They, other than slamming Barnabas as a Levite for owning property, none of them addressed it. But I don't know how long he had that property, but folks, this is after the crucifixion, the resurrection. They're not under the law anymore. They're not under the law. They're not under that. The, what was the word one of them used? Patriarchal something or other. Did I write it in my notes? 
Had to do it. It was their description of the law, though. It was a big stuffy word to say the law. <clears throat> Once Christ died, we're no longer under the law. We have a it's actually a higher standard than the law. It's the law plus. Or some would say the law 2.0, but it's not the law. But there is a responsibility to be obedient. And he was obedient, and he he um, he owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, anytime any of you want to do that and come bring the money to the pastor's feet, I'll be willing to accept. But but that's not the New Testament requirement. Okay, that's not the New New Testament requirement. But he did it willingly. He did it because he was filled with the Spirit and sensitive to the needs of those around him. Barnabas was generous, he was spirit-filled, and he was obedient. You can stay there in Acts 4. I'm going to just flip to Deuteronomy real quick, chapter 10. We even talked about this in men's Bible study yesterday, not this passage, but in Daniel. Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? Fear the Lord your God, walk in all of his ways and love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandment and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. How, do, how does God know we love him? By our obedience. By our obedience. That's how he knows that we love him, and that's how we show our faith and trust and reliance on him is by being obedient. Yesterday, we're studying, Daniel went into the lion's den. He got tossed in because he was obedient to God rather than man. Wow, that sounds familiar because in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter answered and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. We're not going to stop speaking. We're going to obey God rather than man. We're going to be obedient to our Heavenly Father. Daniel was obedient, and it says very specifically in chapter 6 at the beginning that he knew the decree was signed. He was aware. He knew the decree, the, the decree, the law was put in place saying that you shall not worship any other god but the Pharaoh, or not the Pharaoh, but, but the king of uh, Darius. Was it Darius then, guys? Help me out from yesterday. Darius? that he was the only one that was to be worshipped for 30 days. Daniel knew that that was in writing. So what does Daniel do? He goes home and he opens his window that faces Jerusalem and continues to bow and pray three times a day, just like he always had, because he's going to obey God rather than man. Our obedience is the evidence that we love God. We must, we must obey God. Next week, we're going to look at Ananias and Sapphira. Hmm. Scary business. Scary business. But, but what do we do with this? What do, we do, what, what, what do we do with what we've heard today from God's Word? Are we going to be obedient? Are we going to be 
an effective witness and testimony to those around us of Jesus Christ and his love? Because just like that OCC video, right at the end, the little girl held the paper up and said, Jesus loves you. That's why we're here. It's because of him. We can show him that we love him because and through and by our obedience. And that unity will be God-given. It's nothing that we can bring about. It's nothing we can do in and of ourselves. So, how will you be different next Sunday than you are today? I pray that we will be sensitive to one another's needs. There's obviously needs with Ron and Terry. There's needs with Van. There's needs with Jessica. You go this Thursday? Or is it next Thursday, the Thursday after? 24th. Okay. I can't go. Whenever it is. The 24th. Today's the 13th, right? So 11 days. She's got some medical needs. We need to be sensitive to them and pray for her and remember her. And obviously John and Nan and uh, Bean and Candy and Alan, the needs that they have. What is that going to look like? Is that going to be meeting their need through being there, through calling them, hey, we're thinking of you, we love you. I know, as, as the pastor, I'd have to stay appropriate. I so badly just wanted to wrap my arms around Nan yesterday. My wife did. But it's hard not to be able to do that, because that's just, I'm a hugger. But be it hugging, be it loving, be it praying, be it calling, be it being there, be it dropping off a few groceries, or whatever, it's being sensitive to the needs of those around us and letting God work through us so that he can bestow unity upon us for the purpose and the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to look out and be aware of Satan in the way that he would seek to lie to us and deceive us. Give us the strength, give us the wisdom, the open eyes, the awareness not to let him in. Father, we love you. We want to glorify you through our lives. And we know that we can only do that in and through your word. And we give this to you, Father. Change us. Help us to be willing to share, to boldly share. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.